And some of that turned out and some of it didn't, right? I mean, so what's fascinating is, is that because we're all human, we, we, we look at the world the way that we want it to be. Sure. Right. We can't help it. And most of us, you know, it's really tough to be objective about it. And what I would say is some of those problems you listed, like, for instance, the storage problem. I mean, how many times have I been told, yeah, what you going to do when the wind don't blow and the sun don't shine, boy? <laughs> and and now up until about three years ago, I said, well, you know, it's important, you know, now I said, well, I'll tell you about it. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit LockedIn.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers, by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas-focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome back to the Oilfield 360 podcast. We're coming to you live from the Fletcher Azul Tequila podcast studio. I'm one of your hosts, David DeRoe, and I'm joined by my co-host extraordinaire, Josh Lowry. How are you doing this afternoon, Josh? Good afternoon, David. I am doing well. Thank you for uh, doing the intro for us today. Yeah, it's kind of unusual. You're sitting in my chair. I'm doing the intro. Well, I'm sitting in your chair because we added cameras, and I apparently am going bald back there. Nobody told me. And the cameras exposed this, so I had to move immediately. Yeah. I can't be, I can't sit in my old chair anymore. Well, you know, how, I, how, how did I do? Did I do okay? You did great. Okay. You did great. As long, I mean, the Fletcher Azul podcast studio is difficult to kind of, that's a mouthful. Well, I think of Fletcher Azul tequila all the time. Yeah, I'm just saying, <laughs> there's a lot to say there. <laughs> that's a tough one. Aaron, are you listening? I think of Fletcher Azul tequila all the time. Oh, he's definitely listening. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, so this is a, a great, we've had a very busy day. This is again, day one of cameras in the yep. studio. Uh, we are going to do our first episode with cameras. So if you're listening to this, you could probably go and find this on YouTube and a couple of other places that we're going to have uh, at least excerpts of this online. Um, so we are going to do a, uh, we have got multiple people in the room today, and I'm going to start by introducing one of our friends, uh, Ira Green. Ira, welcome to the studio today. Thanks. Great being here. Really appreciate it. It's very nice. Thank you Thank very you. much. Yeah, it's your first time you've seen it, isn't it? It is the first time I've seen it. I am very impressed. Well, Ira, you are the managing director and head of energy capital markets for Simmons Energy, Vision of Piper Jaffrey. But you, and you guys have been a, um, Piper Sandler, excuse me. I, I, I know I screwed that up there. That's Piper. okay. And, uh, you have been a sponsor from the start with the podcast. So we appreciate your guys' support. And we kind of worked our way into this studio. So I know that you were, you kind of waited till we got to the creme de la creme yeah. before you came to visit. I appreciate that. Well, I, I think, you know, we show better on, you know, live uh, with video. So we wanted to wait for that. But uh, no, we appreciate it. Uh, it's been a great partnership. You guys are doing a great job for the entire energy industry. We're a little beat up right now, but uh, you guys are carrying the flag and we really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate your support. And what's funny is on our podcast, we always reference Victoria as basically, please let us get get yeah. this through. She's famous. She's yeah. famous and she, she'll block certain things. She lets certain things go. So we have yeah. her in the office today. So we basically have to just mind our P's and Q's, get past her. And if we do it, we're all set. This is yeah. great. Yeah. But we also, we have other guests here. Can you please introduce one of uh, your friends and, and one of the, the guests of the show? Today? Sure. Yeah. I'm the B team today. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just so everybody knows, we at, at Simmons, we've had, you know, we cover a number of energy practices, old service, very strong, midstream, EMP. For about 15 years, we've covered the renewable sector. And we got to know John a while back through uh, Spencer Ripstein, our, one of our co-heads of energy. And we worked with him a long time ago. We've recently made a huge push. On the renewable side, we just uh, research came out with a thematic piece. It's very interesting. It's dated uh, just a couple of days ago, which is September 14th. So great timing. But John has been a great uh, friend of the firm. We have John Berger here. He is CEO of Sonova Energy International. It's a leading residential solar and energy storage provider. Um, John, uh, their ticker is NOVA. They're a public company, went public last year, done very well. Uh, a, a real stalwart out there in the uh, in the renewables sector, if you will. Uh, John's been in this business over two decades <laughs> in, various, in various capacities, really in, in the renewable or what he likes to call sometimes new energy uh, sector. Uh, his company that we worked with a long time ago, we helped him sell with Standard Renewables. Like that was back in 12 years ago, 2008, eight time frame. But I'll let you, uh, John, tell more about his career, but there are a couple of things you need to know. Uh, he does have an MBA from Harvard, which makes him maybe the smartest guy in this room. And the second, uh, I'm a Longhorn, but he is a Texas Aggie, uh, an engineer, which is a is, which is a badge of honor to wear. And I think the third thing, if I remember, he cut uh, R.C. Slocum's lawn for him when he was growing up. That's right. Uh, Coach Kubiak's actually. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. It was Coach Coach, Kubiak. Coach Slocum wouldn't let me cut his yard. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> well, that makes sense. So uh, anyway, yeah, that's great. I mean, speaking of the smartest guy in the room, in, unless it's on that side of the room, it's it's kind of a no contest here. So, yeah, we're I, I would ask this question, which we always do to our guests. Uh, have you ever been on a podcast? But as I was doing research, you are you're easy to find. You're a CEO um, of a publicly traded company. There's you are carrying the mantle for an industry right now. You're doing a great job of it. I mean, you've got a lot of I don't want to say weight on your shoulders because it, it feels more like wind at your back. Maybe you can comment on that. But 
have you ever done a podcast before is our standard question. Yes. You have. Yes. Now, our other question, and we really only say this because we like to hear how great we are. Have you ever been to a podcast that is this professionally done? Oh, no. The others yeah. are just garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely better. How about that? No, we like extremes around here. It's <laughs> one or the other. So, um, no, listen, it, there's, and I, I do highly recommend uh, anybody who's listened to go do some research on John, uh, Mr. Burgers, uh, YouTube, and a couple of different other places because we're going to be talking about some topics that are maybe a little unfamiliar to our audience, uh, but need to be explored. And we'll give some color to some of the comments that we're going to be talking about. But Per the usual, the audience that we have really cares about the story of our, our guests and how do they get to where they are today. And yours, although you're a CEO of a publicly traded company, it is truly an entrepreneurial story from the start. Can you give us, kind of, I looked how you got started. Can you give us a start from maybe the early 2000s to now? I mean, you started at Enron. I don't know if you want to go that far back, but. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'll go back a little bit further. Uh, I grew up in Bryan, Texas. Uh, went to high school, obviously, in Bryan, and uh, went to Texas A&M, uh, as I mentioned, and got a civil engineering degree. I grew up in the construction business. My dad had three degrees from A&M, uh, basically did construction inspection. And uh, and so I got uh, out of A&M and, and decided I didn't want to do construction anymore. I wanted to go energy. And I got a job at Enron, and so I went there, and I packed all my stuff up and went to Houston because I needed the money. Um, and started work the next day. And I thought I was going to get sent off in an oil platform in the Gulf. I really did. And they put me on the power trading desk working nights and weekends. I thought that's why I worked hard at A&M was not to work nights. But uh, it worked out. I got shipped off uh, five weeks later into uh, working at running a utility, believe it or not, in the control room at the ripe age of 22 in Atlanta during the Olympic game, which you know, the extracurricular activities after you got off work was awesome. Uh, but you got to learn how to run a utility. Came back to Houston, ran the hourly trade desk, and then ran the Southeast cash desk for Enron. Did a little venture cap investment and then uh, took off and went to Boston in August of 01. For, for those of us in Houston, we know that was a pretty darn good timing. Good time. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, that uh, Enron collapsed and you know, so I worked at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission in Washington, uh, flew back and forth uh, during my in between my years at uh, at, at Harvard and then uh, came back to Houston and started. Felt like there was going to be a change in the energy business and um, missed the shell or fracking boom. I uh, wish I, I wish I'd, uh, you know, hit that one, but I didn't. And, uh, you know, started doing venture capital and oil and gas and renewable energy and then Really fell into uh, the idea about doing a renewable energy, the company that Ira spoke of, Standard Renewable, which is really a, a solar contractor for uh, government buildings, commercial and residential. And we dominated the southern United States, sold that business and, and then started another one that was a lot like Sonova. Uh, basically, think of it as a wireless power company with a dealer network. Uh, and uh, we did nothing but residential and sold that business to NRG and then started Snowba up in November as well. Before we get into that, you, you said something, you felt like the energy business was going to change. Uh, what That's somewhat, if you didn't go into shale in the early two, the mid, you know, 2004, five timeframe, I'm assuming you're talking about. That's right. What was triggering you to say that something was going to change? Uh, I felt like that the number of people globally, specifically China and India, and we have to, it's hard for us to imagine, but 
you know, kind of circa 03, that was a not an obvious thought process that China coming online was going to have an impact on the oil prices and energy prices. That was very much a, um, you know, speculative bet and thought, if you will. And, and I thought that just given travels that I'd done in Asia uh, on my honeymoon, as a matter of fact, and, and uh, I thought that, you know, th this is this is real. This You can't take that many people and cram them into a semblance of our way of life here in the West and uh, not have a material impact on energy. And that proved to be correct. I, I also thought that you couldn't have that kind of pollution that came with it, you know, that uh, there's going to have to be an offset there and uh, technology was going to have to be a part of the solution here. So I went after the solution to the problems instead of, hey, let's just focus on the price zooming up past $100 a barrel. What would make more sense there? Uh, so sometimes, you know, you, you wish you had that one back. I wish I would have been able to get in the oil business there for a little bit, at least for, for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it was, and then a, it was a run. To the solution <laughs> side. <laughs> it was a run for sure. I mean, it was one heck of a run. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it still has its, it, you know, it's got its place, obviously. And I'm sure we'll again talk about that further. Yeah. But that really is an interesting vision in 2003, four to see that and to pick something up on a honeymoon that you felt like could be an entirely different business shift. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting to see that back then. So, you know, we go back uh, to standard renewables. We're talking uh, mid 2000s, and it seemed like when we first picked up the sector and started started getting to know you, a lot of the renewables uh, activity was driven by you know uh, scarcity before before the shale boom of, of traditional carbon based products mm -hmm. and energy security. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, does Saudi Arabia control the price of, of, of oil and is that going to hurt our economy? That was a big push. ESG was a much smaller component. Fast forward now, let's go forward to now, 15 years later, it seems different. It also seems like VCs were participating more back then. It was more experiments. And now it's we're seeing private equity, traditional energy guys getting in. What, what are your observations over that time in terms of the changes you've seen? Yeah, it, 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 you're right, Ira. Uh, a lot of the big venture capital firms in, uh, on Sand Hill Road and so forth were getting involved back in then at that time period. Uh, really, all of them thought that this was a lot like uh, IT, venture yeah. capital. You know, let me go find the next Google and, and uh, Amazon and Moore's so forth. Moore's Law. Yeah. Moore's Law and all that. And, and we do have some variations and some semblance of some sort of Moore's Law within solar panels and batteries. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I think what everybody found out and what I suspected was, is that energy was not going to be near as easy for venture capital. Um, the, the amount of capital, the amount of time you needed to get a technology and in, into market or a solution was quite a bit higher. And, and therefore you're going to have fewer winners and those fewer winners are going to need a lot more money. Than say uh, even a Google did. Now Amazon's not a great example because they they didn't need a lot of money and still do to grow out their infrastructure business and logistics. But uh, you you know most of what happened in the valley over the last 30, 40 years has been relatively capital light. That is not the energy business, whether it's oil and gas or whether it's uh, uh, solar and batteries. And so it's had to shift over to private equity firms like the firm that backed me, Energy Capital Partners, um, big dollars public companies, you need to have those kind of access to a lot bigger uh, capital sources, not only equity, but also in debt. And uh, you just don't have that same need and, and requirement in uh, 
in IT for, for the most part. Yeah, and I guess back then oil was over a hundred, so it made sense, and people could deal with the subsidies. But I guess the cost of, of the technology has come down over time. Yeah. Number one, and then talk a little bit about the ESG component and the push now toward renewables and how all that um, triangulates, if you will. Yeah, you know, it, the the environmental aspect has been a part of this the whole way through, but it wasn't as much a highlight, uh, you know, for for most investors and in, in, in talking about it. I think if you're in your initial stage investments, uh, your angels and so forth, I think that probably, yeah, that drove that drove them. Um, I'm not entirely sure about the venture capital folks, I and mean, that doesn't say anything disparaging about them at all. It's just I thought that. They thought this was again more of a techie type bet, and and in ways it is, and in ways it's not, as I laid out. You know, when when Obama uh, came into office, President Obama, it, there was a lot about climate change, and 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 then that kind of fizzled out, frankly. Uh, and now it's surging back even stronger, much much stronger than we've ever seen. Uh, mainly because you know there's there's a lot of it, more and more evidence that that this is real, this is happening. You've got to do some things about it. It's also spread globally. The U.S. is is pretty far behind, both in perception of the the problem, but also just the amount of capital and companies that are out there. The U.S. is pretty far behind Europe and China and Australia, Japan, and some of the major economies of the world. And so, what we have as a perspective from our country is not the same at all than than it is globally. And so, in some ways, globally. Things have kind of caught up with us, if you will, and that ESG push is is uh, is strong because of more global push. Anything else? You go to Europe, for instance, as you know, yeah. you see a lot more money flows, interest, uh, <coughs> funds, investors focused on ESG even today than you do have here in the U.S., although the U.S. is trying to catch up pretty quickly. Do you think COVID-19 will speed or has sped up the ESG process? Unquestionably. Social awareness. Do you talk about that a little bit? Well, it, it, and also the infrastructure reliability. I mean, one of the things, and, and you remember that house in Galveston? Yeah. We went out yeah, there, I the remember guys well. We had windmills, solar yeah. panels, and we had this battery thing that was yeah. out there. This is 2005. Yeah. Just kind of put that in perspective. That house still exists, by the way. That was the only house down there when Ike, Flat, and Galveston worked. Yeah. It was literally a a shining house on a hill, and everything else was dark. Uh, my in-laws actually slept in there and, and after the storm. Uh, that house still exists, by the way, and still has those solar panels on and everything else. Now I see that house just as I saw back in 05. Probably not the windmill. There's just too much maintenance and everything, but there's a lot more software and such that we can talk about, integration. Insets, even uh, we had a genset on that on that uh, diesel fire, free natural gas, what we typically use. But but that vision back then is becoming reality now. So it 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 was always in my mind more about how do you bring higher reliability, resiliency uh, to your energy usage, and and the, that's certainly the case now and growing. And why why did the pandemic highlight that? Because the only thing worse than being stuck at your home. You were talking about earlier, and having to deal with that versus having an outlet to the office. I love you, family. If you're listening to this, <laughs> I love being at home. Yes, too. I love being at home. It's yeah. wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Probably just set myself up, didn't I, Josh? <laughs> John does too. But, but is to be stuck in your home without power. 
Oh, Make yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, think about well, my it. My internet went out uh, two days ago, and I, I thought I was going to be crazy. <laughs> keep yes. going. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and, I did. and, and, yes. and so, you know, we, we have backup generators, at least we do at the office, um, to prevent some of these type of things. But most people don't have that in their house. And they, well, the, the center point's good enough. Well, actually, it's not. And we're, we all know that, particularly in a, in a hurricane prone zone. And we mm. seem to have unprecedented flooding about once every three or four months. Right. Uh, you online know, online learning. What do you call that? Online of? learning. Yeah. All all this stuff. It, it, we've got to have a better system where we're we look. We should look, and this is where I think the energy business is going. We look more like the internet. Let, let me let me do something for the audience here because they probably haven't done their research yet. Uh, I don't want to go all the way to the end here, but give the audience what Sonova is. I mean, I heard you mention that the service that you sold to NRG, but tell them what Sonova is when you're describing or as you're describing where we're going right now. So Sonova is a residential uh, solar and storage service provider. We are the AT&T, we are the Verizon. Think of it that way as we are a wireless power company. So what we're doing is we're having our dealers, which are independently owned and contractors, just like you have at AT&T, cellular. Uh, like, got, a, like an ADT security ADT system. Right? That security, was the best example. Yep, there you go. Yep. And, and, and so what we're doing is we're having those dealers go out and sign our customers up and then put our equipment on the roof. We finance it. You know, so if you want to finance it under a loan, a lease, a power purchase agreement, whatever you want to do, you just got to pay us per month. If you want to pay cash, we'll sell you the service just by itself. And so it's exactly like you walk into an AT&T wireless store. You know, some people, and I've done it before, just want to pay for the iPhone right up front, right? Or whatever you get, mm -hmm. you know, Samsung phone. And then some want to pay on a per month basis. And some of those contracts are longer and got trade-in capability. Some don't, all that stuff. That's exactly our, our business is we go in, we say, hey, we're going to sell you power. We're going to sell you cheaper power, cleaner power. And now it's storage, more reliable power. And we'll make all of that work just like a utility. I'm, I'm just going to only for pure education here we're talking about solar panels and then so when you say storage you're talking about batteries. that's what uh, giant batteries like if you were maybe the underneath of a tesla battery you put that on the you know stood it vertical on the side of your house correct something to that effect yeah i wouldn't call them giant not it's true it's not giant yeah, it's, it's probably it's, about this uh, the size of that seat cushion pretty cool. oh really this is yeah. as big as it is okay yeah that's what i, was, I really wouldn't call it giant okay. at all uh, so we're and, talking about maybe two and a half feet by three and a half feet tall type thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If that, and, and, you know, and it depends, you're going to ask me, well, how long does that make my house run and, <laughs> and all that? It depends on where you are. And, and one of the things that we have to, we'll talk about here, maybe some more is Houston has the highest consumption per square foot on average in everybody's home here than any place in the United States. That gets yeah. AC. AC, our weather's a little bit hot. I don't know yeah. if y'all noticed. Yeah, it gets it pretty humid here. It's God's um, country. It's God's it's, country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and we had this, you know, I also think it's culture too. It definitely is, right? We just don't think much of using energy because mainly we've been in the energy business. And, and, you know, most of us want the price of energy to go up, not down like everywhere else in the country. So when you look at all that, we have a, we have a very, very unique view than ever, uh, most other Americans do. Um, so if you're in Hawaii, you're in, you know, Northern California, you're in Colorado, you're in Puerto Rico and so forth. The amount of, of energy they consume per square foot of the house is very, very small compared to Houston. So 
that battery <laughs> in in Puerto Rico, I can take two of those things. I probably I cut your uh, cut the cord. You don't need these little more. Here in Houston, you probably make it about four or five. You know, so that that's a very different for you know uh, you about how much uh, you know equipment you would need, and therefore what what you're willing. And, to and these are Tesla batteries. Well, we 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 sell. We also do Generac batteries. They just launched that. Okay. Product, uh, very good company. Uh, putting a lot of um, money and effort into getting those uh, that power cells they call it the product. Uh, and then yes, most of what we do is uh, we're the biggest buyer of Tesla Powerwalls in North America. Um, most people don't realize that Tesla makes that product. I highly recommend you go Google some of this stuff. It's just it's really cool to see if you haven't seen it. That's why I'm trying to give as much of a visual for those of you who are driving right now. So when you get home to go Google some of this stuff to see exactly what we're talking about, it is it does look like power of the future. I mean, it really does when you kind of see it in a garage or on the side yeah. of a house. And there's more companies coming. Panasonic's going to have their own here pretty soon. Uh, there's companies called Enphase that make inverters out there, publicly traded. Uh, yet another company should have bought the stock on personally. You know, I couldn't do that, but we buy it through <laughs> gear. But a great relationship there. Solar Edge out of uh, out of Tel Aviv, out of Israel, another publicly traded company. Um, uh, they're they're launching product. We got some of the Chinese companies, some more of the Japanese companies. LG. Everybody knows who LG sure. is. I got LG TVs in the, my house. Uh, they're the world's largest battery maker. They just launched yet another version of their product, next next iteration. So, uh, a bit there is. There is so much going on, and the speed of which the change is, is occurring is accelerating. So that's that's what's fascinating is is that what's happening now, you know, what happened over the last twelve months will probably happen in the next six months in terms of speed of change. You brought up ESG, Ira. And, yeah. You know, we we started the Energy ESG Council, which is to try to drive a narrative for the energy industry on a uniform basis, both from a fossil fuels perspective, but also an alternative or renewable energy perspective. But when you when you think at things objectively, there's there's positives and negatives with everything. As it relates to renewables, one of the comments you hear often is, yeah, that's great, but it doesn't you don't have the storage capability you possess with you know fossil fuels, whether it be gas or or oil. And then you've also got the legacy uh uh, environmental impact with the batteries they their their life is is somewhat finite so do you have any do you have any thoughts or comments about about the battery technology and the stability of the batteries and how they're developing and and how we deal with um the uh residual um waste associated with the with the technology yeah sure you know one thing i would i would caution that um but the number one mistake I've seen made by friends here in Houston is taking the current technology and not not assuming any improvement. Sure. So extrapolating, which is really fascinating because you can look at fracking technology. How many times are they said, well, you know, technology is getting better. So look at my well cost. This, yeah. you know, yeah. frack costs this. It looks like this. And, and some of that turned out and some of it, so didn't, it didn't. Right. I mean, so what's fascinating is, is that because we're all human, we, we, we look at the world the way that we want it to be. Sure. Right. We can't help it. And most of us, you know, it's really tough to be objective about it. And what I would say is some of those problems you listed, like, for instance, the storage problem. I mean, how many times have I been told, yeah, what you going to do when the wind don't blow and the sun don't shine, boy? <laughs> and and now up until about three years ago, I said, well, you know, that's a good, good point. point, you know, 
now I'd say, well, I'll sell you a battery. Yeah. Okay. So let me take that big concern, take it off the table. Now, um, cost, performance, improvement of the battery, energy, you know, efficiency, if you will, that's improving rapidly. In fact, we got Elon Musk is going to have a battery day next week, and he's got some big improvements coming out. Um, mm -hmm. We'll see how big those really are, but my guess, knowing him, he's a he's the greatest showman on earth, right? He's he's got to have something big to say, or he's sure. got a whole day on it, right? And and there's other breakthroughs that are happening in some of these car companies. Lucid Car, you know, company feels they've got a pretty uh, interesting battery technology. I can tell you, there's a lot of other companies out there. LG feels like they're making breakthroughs and so forth. So even the top chemists of the world have been dead wrong about the progression of lithium-ion batteries just in the last 24, 36 months. Mm -hmm. I mean, you yeah. thought that would be right over the next 24, 36 months for at least probably, you know, I could understand somebody's wrong after two to year, 10 years or something like that. There's a lot to happen in 10 years. But you missed it by 24 months? Something went wrong. Right. And, and it's reassessing, you know, what is possible when you put the human minds to it globally and you give the billions and, and really hundreds of billions of dollars to invest. And the amount of money that's coming into this space right now is in, in really just over even this year. And you look at, for instance, look at Tesla's stock market performance. Tesla could take its market cap and buy Exxon over two times over and have money left over. Exxon. Right. And so when you when you look at all this, the amount of money that's going in there is going to speed the technology improvement up dramatically. So there's a there's a lot here that's going to be needs to be done to solve these problems. Good news is there's a lot of companies out there that need uh, Iris and his team services to go out there and raise a lot of money to get these companies funded sure. we, and we, up in operation. We are hopeful. I, I did catch there might be a job opening in cobalt uh, mining. My son just graduated from college, so I want to follow up with you after that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I want to I want to actually build on this battery uh, uh, topic here, but I want to talk about traditional energy because you've always spoken. It's not we can't just turn off the light switch on traditional energy and right. move to whatever new deal you want to call it, and we're only renewables. Right. It's almost like both need to be compatible over time, and I guess. You know, electric vehicles are here. They're, uh, you know, accelerating uh, fast. There's a lot of batteries that need to be made, and there's, there's, they're, they're expensive. And you, you got to plug the cars in every night or what, whatever it is. I don't know. How do you feel about traditional energy? Maybe nat gas is a natural gas is a bridge, or you've, you've spoken about that before. And I think intelligently in, in that, you know, hey, this, I see the big picture here. It's not just one or the other. Right. Yeah. I, I, a big believer in that. And, you know, first and foremost, I think that the people in oil and gas are good people yeah. and they're smart people. And, you know, we've been hiring a lot of them. And, and really, I built I built Sonova with those folks. And, and again, we're continuing to hire really, frankly, more every week. Um, so I, I think that if, if you want to make a change and to other part of the energy industry, we talk about the energy industry when you talk start rephrasing ourselves like here's the oil and gas portion of the energy industry right. here's the coal portion here's the centralized power portion here's the distributed here's solar here's bat you know batteries and so forth it's all part of the the energy industry and if you take a look at what happened in California and still is happening um I think that's a great 
window into what I'm talking about is, is that, let's be frank, most people in oil and gas will look at that and say that's what those Californians deserve. They went out there and they didn't build these gas plants. They shut down the nuke plants and all that, and look what happens. Um, there's a other side of that is saying, well, we should have moved faster and put storage out there faster and put more out there, and that's what that's what happened. We didn't move quick enough on the on the new energy side of things. And and my response to that is you're both right. Okay. You can't sit there and pretend like technology is not moving as fast as it is. The world's not changing. Mm -hmm. Things are moving ahead and they're moving ahead quickly. This is not the future. This is the present. Get with the program, figure out how it maybe you can make more money doing what, what uh, my part of the energy business, maybe than the other part. Right. But understand that things are moving and moving fast. So adopt that. Don't mm -hmm. don't push back on that. The other side of this, though, on my side of the industry is like, hey, let's be practical. There's only so many batteries I right. can get my folks installed in a day. Okay, so shutting down the gas plants too fast right. is a appropriate criticism, and and we need to make sure that we're balancing things. We're being we're being real, so that we don't have these kind of problems. So it's more again. And it's hard to find these days mm -hmm. in the political landscape as we're now less than 50 days away from the election is the answer is in the middle, yeah. folks. <laughs> right. It's oh a balance. God. And that's what we need to have is a balance. <clears throat> yeah. You know, that's uh, you. You really you're very good at what you do. And I mean that sincerely because I'm, I'm listening to you talk and you're I don't I mean, obviously you have I don't want to say an agenda, but you certainly have your your presentation and what you're talking about. You're passionate about it. And you, you seem to answer questions as they might come up from a skeptic, right? So you, you clearly run into the question about the mining or whatever, because those are the things we hear, right? And those are the things that I don't want to say we're trained to say by any means. But, and, you know, as you're talking, it, it isn't above all or at all of the above approach currently. I'm wondering, you know, we had, David and I had, um, we've had a couple of congressmen on the show and the show is apolitical. But what we say to both of them or the two guys we've had is like, can you be, we're looking for reasonable people. And I'm curious, are you seeing reasonable legislation? Are you seeing reasonable conversations taking place? Or is it just craziness on both sides right now? And you have to, and business has to find its way in the middle. And throw in, does the election, uh, if Biden gets elected, does that change things dramatically as we expected with Obama as well? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, the answer is no. I don't see any intelligent conversations. Like, for instance, in my opinion. Yeah, we don't either. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were hoping we would. Did y'all yeah. accomplish anything from uh, with the two congressmen? They were great. Okay. And it was a Wesley Hunt. I didn't mean to oh, cut yeah. you off. Wesley yeah. Hunt is He's running. He's a candidate. He's a candidate. He's a candidate. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Dan Crenshaw, actually. Sure. Um, and they're, Good guy. they're both great. And they're both, they seem reasonable. And we asked both of them the same question. And I, I promise we'll let the guest talk. We love to hear ourselves talk, quite honestly. So it's, it's you know, you know, go to Washington, be reasonable, right? That's what we're hoping for. So back to the yeah. whole reason we're here, yeah. you, um, you're saying that you don't see people or the conversation being reasonable. No. And, and I think, unfortunately, we, we've, uh, as a country, and both sides are to blame here, we've politicized it. And in some cases, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it, too. We've romanticized it. You know, uh, hey, I want to stay in doing what I did because I've been, my, my daddy did this, you know, 30 years ago, too. And, okay, well, it's, I mean, Amazon wasn't here 30 years ago, so you, neither was, you know, the iPhone. So I guess you're not doing those. I mean, you know, yep. it, things things change. Things move. There's different ways to make money. Let's go. Let's do it. I mean, 
that what's what what should be about is okay, what's best for the consumers, what's best for wealth creation and job creation, and let's go let's go do that. Okay. And if there's people that fall out of that in terms of there's a negative environmental impact and and there's people that can't afford the energy, let's figure out how to deal with those issues, you know, through through a government, whether that's federal or state. Uh, and instead we just have people just, you know, you're evil, you're evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's not helpful. And that's what I'm saying is you go to California and, and that example, and, it, and there's examples here too of this. I mean, we're not we're not the you know the shiny white you know state is California is you know all the center. All right, we've got our own sins that we should look at and say, look, wait a minute, um, there is a transition going on here, but you can't just shut off natural gas right away. You can't do it. It's not practical. So we need to figure out how we work together to get the right transition at the right but, pace for people. But do you get rid of it at all? And and I guess I don't even know that that, that solar, wind, et cetera, is the answer. You know, for for the long term. I mean, I think it'll be we're going to be stuck with natural gas and and oil through at least our lifetime and probably our children's lifetime. But I don't think it's a binary discussion. Given the fact that largely significant part of the world, populated world, is still asleep, and if they do have any energy sources, they're I mean they're still building a rapid number of coal-fired power plants in uh, in Asia, and you know there's this belief that that is that's not going to come over here and affect us or affect the the broader climate. But nobody's nobody's talking about that. I think we've been somewhat responsible here in the states, and it and when you talk to energy executives more on the fossil fuel side that we interview and Ira and I've talked mm-hmm. with and are friends with. And you talk to him about this, I think all of them agree that there's room for, you know, more new energy development out there because the demand ultimately is going to be there. The demand, I think, has been somewhat, you know, diminished by, by COVID-19. But I think global energy demand is going to go up because all these all these technologies and devices require a battery or some additional technology, and that's got to be generated from, from something. And some of it can be solar and wind, but it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves and improves. And to your point about the batteries, I think that's that's great to see that that technology improve. And and you know we we expect to see that. I think not so much out of environmental need but out of economic need in the oil and gas business. And by virtue of that, you get the benefits of environmentalists. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're right back to the show. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. A leading provider of U.S. oil field research, known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. 
Gulfway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit gulfwaymarketing.com slash O360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. I want to pivot real quick. You said something a second ago about, um, you know, the iPhone. And, you know, 30 years ago, Amazon didn't exist. You didn't have an iPhone. So do you know who Colin Cowherd is? The guy, ESPN. Yeah. I love, right? He has the herd. Uh, he's, I've learned, you know, I was an outdoor or an outside salesman in my early days. So I'm always listening to the radio on the road as I'm out. And he would, uh, I learned as much business from him as I did sports, quite honestly. And one of the things that he would say is he's not a traditionalist, right? He, his family moved a lot growing up. So traditions to him didn't mean as much if, as they might for a family that never moved and went to grandma's house every, you know, Christmas or Saturday, or whatever it was. So I'm curious, your, your forward thinking, it's, it seems to me unique. It seems to me very forward, quite honestly. And I'm wondering, you know, you say you you grew up in Bryan, your family is from Bryan, your dad went to A&M or at least graduate studies. And so you, you don't have necessarily a background that would open you up to all of this. Uh, and I don't want to say forward thinking, but certainly kind of a visionary. So where did that come from over the last 20 years? How did you, how do you have such a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? The ability to kind of look past maybe what is traditional and is it, is it a monetary view or is it just something that's always come natural to you? Uh, hmm. uh, you know, I, I like, uh, I like thinking, uh, I read history, uh, travel quite a bit with, uh, with my family, taking the kids all over the world. I like different perspectives. I think listening to people is important. I think, you know, frankly, given that little bit of the conversation we just had, we listen to each other more so than anybody in Congress has listened to each other in the last 10 years <laughs> about anything. And and those topics are just as important, if not more so, right? Um, pandemic included. And and I and I think that's important is to listen to folks because everybody's got something to offer. And when you do that and you piece all this different information pieces together. And then you think about, you know, there's a pattern that you can recognize and then you apply that pattern, you move it out. You don't know exactly when it takes place, but you can kind of see what's going to happen. And, and a big part of this is be objective. It's really, really tough. You got to leave your opinions aside and what you want to be true and look at this and say, what, what could this be? I mean, it's the old, uh, if, if there's, if the only answer that comes back is the crazy answer, well, then that's the answer, the crazy answer. And so, you know, I think that's been most beneficial to me. No, I, and, and, and you're, you're being kind to me. No, I didn't go to Berkeley or anything like that. And, uh, didn't, didn't live out. I've never lived out in California. Um, and uh, where did and, you go crazy, man? No. <laughs> I think you're saying for an Aggie, you, you're really, a yeah. I mean, I was like, when you were and saying that, I didn't that, even go just... to Texas. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, Iris bowing about that. He's like, okay. laughing. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it, I think, you know, and, and look, uh, I think it should be the folks here that think about energy better than anybody else really in the world, I think. And, and looking at this and saying, well, why can't we sell them some gas and sell them some solar and, and, and uh, battery power? Right. Well, let's 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 do all of it. Let's not just sit here and pigeonhole ourselves into it and get into these, you know, uh, oh, well, I think this is going to last forever and you're evil and we're not going to do this. And it's crazy. And if, you know, Obama wasn't president 10 years ago. This would never would happen. 
I mean, stop, just stop. I mean, just, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know what's going to happen. It, I'll tell you, if, if it, solar panel efficiency continues to rise at the rate that it is, I don't know if my kids will always use hydrocarbon. So I don't so know, build, but, but that could be the case. It could yeah. not be the case. Let's have an open mind about that. So building on that, um, the majors and the large utility, what does it look like in 20 years? And you've seen some of them really move forward with some of this technology. Is that just to get a good ESG score, or are we are we seeing and do you envision a real pivot with some of these very very large and old energy companies with hundreds of thousands of employees that are very smart people that you alluded to at the very beginning? They are, um, and so one of the one of the profs that I had at, at Harvard was uh, the late Clayton Christensen. He wrote a book that made him famous, and and I think. I think pretty wealthy, um, called Innovator's Dilemma. And he writes about this problem. Right. And, you know, I, I told a very close friend of mine about 17 years ago, the thing that's made Exxon great is the thing that will kill it. And that, that's happened. Um, there's just a total focus, but no ability to, sh to recognize that there's change here, not coming, and, and to pivot. And if you look at it, history's not kind to the big oil majors. And you look at any industry about having an incumbent change. And doesn't mean it can't happen, though. There are a couple examples of, of firms that have really shifted. And it remains to be seen, for instance, in electric vehicles, will GM make the shift or not? And, and right now, a lot of investors have gotten extremely frustrated with General Motors and said, we're going to go fund some of these ranked startups because you can't get out of your own way. I heard that today, actually. And that's where all the money's flowing, is to give it to the hands of the entrepreneur. And look, we have to remember, entrepreneurs built Exxon. Entrepreneurs built Chevron. Entrepreneurs built Schlumberger and Halliburton, all this. Mm -hmm. Just did a number of decades ago, if not longer, right? It's it's companies aren't supposed to last for decades or centuries. They're supposed to be doing one function that's been started up, you know, always by definition, an entrepreneur, a man or woman. And then they've been able to go out there and have success and bring other people into it. So for from a community standpoint, a country standpoint, do we need to have all these big oil companies really make the turn? I would I would say no. Maybe they need to stay focused on what they're doing, do that best, slim down, cut the cost, get it done. And then let other companies pick up the growth and change the energy business. The utility side is where we need to have some changes. Every This is America. Centerpoint and the rest of these companies, I don't mean to pick on Centerpoint, but any utility is not a capitalistic entity. It they is socialism and, co and, and communism. I mean, co-ops and everything. There's no choice as a utility. It's a monopoly. And, and there's no choice given to the consumer. The consumers must have choices. At least in Houston, Dallas, we've given some choice to be sign up. Like you can sign up with Reliant and, and other folks right out there that you have a choice to be able to do that. But all across the country, most people don't have that choice. We need to take that Texan way of looking at things and saying everybody needs to have a choice. And so if you don't want solar panels on your roof, you don't need to have. It. You know, you get to choose what you <coughs> want to do. That's the change that needs to happen in the energy business. Will some utilities like Nextera is very aggressive out there, had a lot of success in renewables and so forth. Uh, I think that's a great example of a, of a 
so-called dinosaur and so forth making the turn. I, I think it, yeah. I think they're going to make it, right? I think they're going to do it. So there are good examples, but unfortunately, they're few and far between. But that's not unique to the energy business. Well, go ahead. What about some of the power companies? I was with an executive of, of a power company the other day that already has an embedded customer base. And instead of looking to go the solar panel roof way, which is to be viewed as invasive, and interestingly, we just moved into our house. Um, we built directly behind our front house, I guess. And it was plumb for solar. It was for code. And, of course, you know, I like it to be real cold, and I like my ice machines to work, and I got the 27KW nat gas backup generator. Mm-hmm. So when we get hit, I'm still got I the got AC one of those too. Yeah. yeah. But... But their point was, we already have the customer base. We don't necessarily want to be invasive, you know, installing solar panels and doing the battery because we may not have one. We're thinking about just going and, and building solar farms and giving these customers an opportunity to check the box and say, we want energy from the solar farm or be an investor in the solar farm that ultimately is pumping electricity into the grid. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, that's fine, and and I think that look, there's different structures out there. Uh, for instance, the the building we're sitting in is not practical to have a bunch of solar panels on the roof, and it's going to give you all the energy. I don't right. know. I think that's you know that's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but sitting at your house, it is practical to have that. And what I would say is is that the, it's not just in, invasive. It's saying, hey, how do I give you more reliability? You're going to get from that wire, right? So if you're if you are an engineer. That every line, every foot of wire that's coming from your house that started out at that plant is a failure, right? Theoretically, right? <laughs> right? And we've seen it become reality every every so often, and more so than than uh, than we'd like to see. So I, I would say that you need a combination of you know economics, reliability, and some and some being yeah environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. But I would say that people look at it in that order. Most, the vast majority, 95 plus percent of the people out there. So when he's talking about, sounds to me like something that's a little bit more of environmental first, that market, pretty small. Now, Texas is a big state, but it's pretty small. Mm-hmm. So personally, I wouldn't do that business. But, you know, it, it, is there something out there? Sure. There's And there's so much to do and there's different segments of customers and so forth. And that's what I'm saying is. Let the market, you know, let the entrepreneurs yeah. in the market figure this out. You're going to be fascinated with where what's actually going to happen. Well, I think your so, example of the wireless model, they the the wire the mobile phone model for power, I think is a is a great analogy. And and we've seen how ubiquitous that's become globally. And when you when you made the point about the you know, clipping the wires, I think that that's also an interesting point as well. Hey, speaking of the you know the market being able to choose and markets. Uh, one of the biggest uh, complaints over the last decade uh, for renewable energy has been the government subsidies. And when will we be able to get away from the government supporting um, various technologies, solar and wind? Let's just pick those two. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that, where you think we are with that, what your thoughts are on subsidies? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't like subsidies. Um, so I, I did fight against the ITC extension back in 2015. Um, I'm for it now, so why? Did I flip flop? Um, I should run for Congress. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, and, I, and I'll and I'll be brutally honest. I, I think for a Republican administration, I'm very disappointed 
in the lack of the belief in the market. Um, I want to see choice and deregulation spread, um, and it, and we should talk about as consumer's choice instead of trying to mandate, in this case, coal or nuke or something else. Um, so we've actually, I've, I've seen nothing but government from both parties trying to tell me what to do and throwing more subsidies at coal, more subsidies at centralized power, more subsidies at oil and gas and so forth, not not less. And I'd like to drain the swamp, really drain the swamp and just get rid of everything. And maybe you don't think your subsidy and oil and gas is a subsidy. That's okay. Why don't we just take it away? Then, then we won't have to worry about it. Like, let's just level the tax code out. Let's level the field out, say, let the consumers choose. Let's see who, you know, there's basically a gladiator pit. Let's see who comes out of the pit alive. Yeah, but do you think that's that too commonsensical, though? Yeah. I mean, I, I hear that, but I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, and I'm, I'm not trying to hold on to this, but I feel like solar would get creamed if that was the case. No. No. We, we cream them. Really? Yeah, because there's a lot of, and there's more subsidies that are being put into the system to, to basically bolster the existing incumbents. And, and whether that's the u- monopoly utilities, because they're, they're, they're they're hurting. Some of these utilities are gonna are experiencing permanent demand decline. Not just they're not growing anymore; they're declining, right? And then you've got a lot of other folks that are in the oil and gas. Well, I want this. I want this. I want you know no royalty payment. I mean, all this stuff that's going on out there. And the and the coal guys, boy, they got their hands out. I mean, I made a prediction. You talk about visionary. Walk in the halls. Soon as um. Back in uh, uh, 2017, after Trump's election, I said, I told both sides, members of Congress, both chambers, you watch it. The coal guys are going to come in here looking for for bailout. Ah, that's crazy. That's just you solar guys. And you're just looking for money. Okay, watch. And by the way, the nuke guys are going to be right there with them. You know how long that took? Three months. They, they waited and I came back a few months later and they were like, wow. Wow. <laughs> Didn't see that. They were here. So, they had to be because, you know what, coal is not economic. When you have it compared to fracked gas and solar and now solar and storage and even wind, it's not economic. Yeah, I don't think anybody in here, I, I think we're all agreeing with you that that's it. I, for the reason I say the creamed part, I go back to maybe the fight of the early two, you know, 2010s was such that it did seem like a lot. There was a lot of bad press on. Uh, some subsidies that went out early. Is that what I'm just recalling? Is that old information? Yeah, and, and there is all that, like Solyndra yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, look, there's, but I can give you a, that clean coal plant debacle down in Georgia, right, or in Mississippi. I mean, I can give you that one too. And so my point is, there is a entire swamp here. There is a lot of sin, and the reason why I support the ITC now is that okay? You know what? I'm not going to be the only fool at the card table that doesn't get subsidized. Everybody's getting their subsidies. I guess that's the way we're going to do things. I don't agree with that system. I think everybody ought to get their subsidies taken away, including solar. To be to clear, be clear I'm uh, I'm not advocating one way or the other. I was just I was pointing that out. I think that uh, I think coal has had its day. I don't know why they're still getting money. Um, you know, although I don't live in. Because you know, they live in the swing states. Exactly. That's my point. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't live in those states, so I don't have as much. Uh... Well, it's still being consumed in other parts of the parts of the world. I think what's interesting about the ESG movement that a lot of people are scared of, and I don't think they should be. I think I equate it to enterprise risk management as a whole, and I really think while the concept is great, they got the initials wrong. Good governance is what drives all of this stuff, and. 
And I think as more attention is put there, it's going to create some discipline and accountability that we've not had and have been running away from for a while. And whether it's subsidies or the financial engineering of, well, it didn't work out with his file, bankruptcy, and reward the same team to go do the same thing mm. again. And ultimately, we already know what how that's going to play out, which is insanity, doing the same thing <laughs> over and over, expecting different results. <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, greater visibility and this element of accountability that's not been there in the past because financials are fungible. You can put lipstick on a pig, but to show continuous improvement, accountability, you know, I, I don't know why people don't 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 adopt more of this and really take it and run with it. Because if you do, you're going to build a more resilient, sustainable business. You're going to have the margin expansion. You're going to survive. Um, I think, you know, in business, unlike other things, not all businesses should get a participation trophy. You know, you either have a good business model with good management discipline or you don't. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's true in true in any business. And I think your idea of taking away all subsidies, it would be interesting to see who ultimately survives. If that were the case, I know as a taxpayer, just like all <laughs> three of you in the room, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how things would change if, if we took away some of the, the games. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with your points. Um, you've got to understand the whole energy chain. I mean, that's something we try to do at Simmons, and I think we're pretty good at figuring out, okay, I mean, you're already quoting, here's coal, I'm competing against coal, I'm competing against net gas, how it all works. I can't turn this switch off. It's to your point, you know, you look at numbers in the future, you can add electric vehicles, but still, there's going to be around the world a lot, still a lot of hydrocarbon fueling. But uh, the, the renewables growth is going to be there. And just having two sides of Washington right now just pit against each right. other and try and negate or cancel each other out isn't going to really work. You need you need some people that can see I, the whole I, thing. I've not heard, a good, yeah. Yeah. I've I not heard a good argument for replacing plastic yet, which is I, – I can't tell if you're the, the best guest we've ever had or if this conversation is just naturally flowing like this. Because, again, you know, the conversation that Ira just brought up there, the point is – you know, my thought is, and you've already mentioned this, is that I'm curious to know, is is energy working with solar at all? And do you see a, a an area for partnership, uh, some type of coordination there? Because Great it, question. I mean, I, I, I just hear well, you mean oil and gas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I said energy. I'm excuse me. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, I got started. I was backed by two oil and gas families. Um, one. You know, fantastic entrepreneur, oil and gas, and uh, I have members of my board, uh, you know, pretty prominent oil and gas folks, and um, so I, I think that again, it, it's about people, and 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 people make the difference, and when you're looking at, is there partnership here? Yes, I want to go get the best people, many of which I see in oil and gas to come over and, and work with them. And so, yeah, in that respect, in most important respect, we absolutely have partnerships that are going on. Well, let me, let me take it further than not just, you know, employee potential employee pool. I mean, actual. Well, I work for the board to be clear and they're on the board <laughs> and they're shareholders. <laughs> You're, well, no, I mean just the, the organizations or yes, uh, other yeah, in, yeah. energy, I, I keep saying energy, but I am speaking oil and gas companies. Yeah. 
um, you know, I think there'd be a lot of people interested in in kind of a, a mixed bag because it, that's the one thing David brings up all the time on the podcast. I think oil and gas does get a bad reputation for their role in the world of the environment, wanting to be a, wanting to be part of the solution. So I just, you know, I don't know where you were going to go on that, David. Well, but I, just, I was just going to say, you know, Leslie Byer, who, who's been a guest and we, we've helped her with a start a show. She's president of the Petroleum Equipment Service Association. Um, she said, and I agree with her, that the, the energy transition is probably best led by folks that are in the energy business. And if you think about all of the uh, embedded intelligence and experience and know-how from an engineering perspective, science, et cetera, it largely resides in the oil and gas business. And, and you see some of the changes that have occurred electrical from an electrical perspective, mechanical perspective, whatever. A lot of that's in, in, in the energy business. And you see some of the more diversified, larger service companies in particular, you know, NOVs, et cetera, starting to gravitate. But I, whether you go offshore or whether you're out in the field, you, we've seen, I've seen solar panels used for 20 years, you know, not in the, not to the extent that you're talking about utilizing them. But I think the industry has found opportunities for elements of that to support what it does, whether it's on production equipment or on a rig or, or whatever, but it's not been viewed as a mainstream power source. And now that's the case. And I think a lot of that, though, has been driven by the fact that the technology wasn't necessarily there yet, but is, is, is there. And to your point earlier, is going beyond what we, what most people can, can, can uh, envision. Well, so, I, I would add to that. Almost, you know, a, a large part of our business comes from private equity firms and that are primarily energy focused or have a big energy component. And I would say if every single one of them is trying to pick all of our brains and what's going on and they've raised separate funds or they've, they've targeted money within funds like I have never seen very quickly. Very smart people that know the industry, know the balance of, okay, coal offsets gas, okay, you know, obviously petroleum for fuels and other and petrochemicals and how does it all fit together? And there's a lot of money going into it and a lot of smart people that are traditional energy. I got a call yesterday from somebody that is an oil and gas entrepreneur and he is funded by these private equity firms. He said, can you guys come over here? Can you sit down? I need to understand this landscape. I've got to pivot or at least diversify. He's not going to leave what he's leaving, but they're going to diversify. So I do, I do believe wholeheartedly that this industry is, well, I'll just tell you, some of those honest people in the world, smartest people in the world, hardworking yeah. people. And those people are going to figure this out. And I, I, you know, just like you, John, they're, they, you know, we may, you know, they may not be as visionary because I think you're extremely visionary, but they're going to figure out, they're good at contrasting and comparing, and they're going to figure out how to get into this business and what makes it drive. And my hope is in 20 years, my kids are around, I have a son in the energy business, I hope he's figured it out and moved to where the, as Gretzky would say, where the puck's going. That's right. Not where it was. Yeah. And so I think that's great. And then additionally, sorry to be long-winded, no. but we have got investors now that are traditional oil service investors that are now wearing two hats. They're moving into the renewable side. But you know why they picked them? And they may be EMP people because they understand the energy chain. It used to be give it to the technology person. You look at Tesla really hard company to analyze. You got our transportation guy and they're like, can you bring in your renewables guy? Cause they have this whole battery spin. Mm -hmm. So I really do think that transfer of intellectual uh, knowledge 
on the energy chain is is big. And I don't think we can, should be afraid of it. I mean, I think to your point, we should embrace it. And, you know, it's cool. Yeah, I don't Thanks. think it's a I don't think it's an either or. I think it's an and. But, I, yeah. you know, even those guys who are who are fading away from traditional oil and gas and getting into renewables, not to disappoint them, but the fundamentals still apply. Yeah. You got to have a management team that's disciplined, sure. that's aware of their risk, that is going to be accountable and is going to make hard decisions, even if they don't seem popular. Otherwise, you're just going to watch that capital go away because uh, lack of discipline ultimately fails. And, yeah, I didn't say they're moving away. Yeah. I said they're balancing it out. Right? Well, yeah, absolutely. So we uh, there's a book that we reference fairly often on this show. It's uh, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels by Alex Epstein. Have you heard of this book? I heard of it. Yeah. Um, I haven't read it. Well, I, actually, we'll, we'll get you a copy. Just to, if you said you'd like to read. It's an interesting read. A very smart young guy that wrote the book. Um, and it because you, you, you talked about perspective of those in Texas versus in California, right? And uh, which I totally agree. We we turn it. I don't even think about turning an AC on. Whereas if you're Puerto Rico, you may think about you know lights or whatnot. So, um, but he has his perspective is if it in America as a whole, it's very easy to um, want certain things for energy because of the ease of which any of us can turn the light switch on. Versus somebody in another country where it's not as easy to get. Uh, accessible energy. Um, so that again, just from a pure, interesting read, I, I I highly recommend it. I'm curious to know if there's a book that you would recommend our audience read and maybe kind of get a different perspective that you'd want us to, because I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, right? And I hope that everybody else has that's listened to it. Um, I know everybody in the room has certainly. Is there something that you would kind of point us to say, hey, this is a great read. It'll maybe help your frame of mind, mindset. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think so. Nothing comes to mind. I'll think about well, that you, and, and I, let that, you know later. But, I, you know, I, I, I think things are so fast moving and there's nobody that's really, you know, it, again, too often I've, I've seen a lot of things like we should just go do this and put solar panels everywhere right now because we've got to save the planet. Right. And and there's no more about like, hey, this is how the world is going to you know, really materialize. And this is how it's going to feather it in, you know, in, in terms of the change. and and uh, by the way, there's a big difference. A lot of people are like, oh, solar. Like, yeah, I saw a bunch of those panels in the field out there by off the highway. Well, that's not what I do. I compete with that. <laughs> right. And they're Sorry. like, well, wait a minute. Is that kind of like solar on solar crime? And you know, like, well, I compete with solar farms just as much as I compete with coal fired plants and gas fired plants. I mean, it's a centralized power and decentralized. And so that kind of understanding of the landscape and so forth, nobody's put together in any book. Well, and that's fair. Right. I mean, I don't. I do want people to have a place to go and I, I don't want to put too much pressure on you. And I don't know if I said this on air or off air, but um, you know, if you do any research on you, there's, there's, you're, there's lots of YouTube videos, there's interviews and you know, there's, there's a couple of them that describe you as kind of um, not the poster boy. That's not the right word, but just the, the torch bearer at the moment. Uh, are there any other guys or girls or companies or just, I, I'm really looking for uh, a place to send the audience of, and if it's, if it's you, then I'll send it to you. And I mean that because <laughs> I think you do it in a very reasonable way. So I, I mean, I, and I mean that, but if there's, if, if something does come up in the next 15 minutes before we shut this down, I'd love to hear something that you say, you know what, actually check out this video or this movie or this documentary or whatever it is, because uh, it's just like anything, the more, you know, the better it is. And, you know, I think we do need an educated uh, audience population, whatever you want to call it. So um, that's just between now and 15 minutes when we wrap it up. Uh, if not, I'm sending them all to you and you're in trouble. Well, look, I, I think, you know, you, yeah, 
That's fine. I yeah. appreciate that. Uh, you know, look. Um, well, I think you do a great job of explaining it. I mean, it seems very yeah. reasonable in a, in a, you live in the oil and gas capital of the world. And you and I and you should be an oil and gas guy. You're an A&M. You're an Enron. You live in Houston and you're not. You and all to, my friends are in oil and, and gas. And all your yeah. friends are in oil and gas. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that there yeah. is a special uh, position that you have to be able to understand, you know, maybe an audience that does need, uh, I don't want to say hear things, but just to hear all the different sides, of, understand all the sides, but I should say. Well, he's yeah. a rational consumer. He does have a nat gas backup generator, so he hadn't completely cut the cord. But. Look, uh, natural gas, I think, is going to be a part of it, uh, the solution for a long time. And, uh, you know, maybe that, maybe I, you know, I will say this. I've been too, as, as crazy as this sounds, and I know it sounds crazy, I've been too conservative. The the pace of technology change and the price, like the price of solar, yes, you know, aren't so and get creamed without subsidies. Solar panels are, you know, they fell four years ago at 95% within less than, it was about nine years. So if you can follow that, basically solar panels crashed in price four years ago. They've just been leveling out ever since then. We've got the Trump tariffs with, you know, the China trade war and all that stuff. But it, essentially, I, I wouldn't have thought, you know, remember we sold that you know, company. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that was going to happen for like two decades, right? You know, I mean, it, 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 and, and it happened so fast. Batteries are happening even faster than I thought. And, and so what I've been uh, you know, thinking about has been too conservative is, is something just to kind of think about. And so when, when I go, you know, talk about, uh, you know, what's happening with folks around town, I said, Hey, just have an open mind. Think about this. I mean, we, we are, and you guys are right. The oil and gas industry is diverse. Look at Houston, most diversity in the United yeah. States. It's not New York, not LA. Sorry, folks in New York and LA. It's Texas. It's Houston. Why? For the oil and gas industry. Okay. And we also got the shipping industry to thank too, right? For support. Um, most high tech, one of the most high tech industries out there, oil and gas. You go figure out how to punch a hole X miles underneath, underneath all that ocean, mm-hmm. right? Go figure that out. That's pretty tough. Uh, then you got to figure out, like, how do I make sure all this stuff doesn't spill in the ground, spill in the air, and all this other stuff? I mean, there's a lot that goes into this. And you've got to figure out how to work with governments, both local and federal and so forth. So there's a lot of skill sets here and some of the smartest people and the best culture, the most diverse, which is a hot topic these days, we all know. I mean, we are the ones that should be leading the charge. We should be sitting there saying, and Iris heard me say this all the time, it's like, you know, when somebody calls him up from an energy company, he's not asking whether oil and gas or solar and storage. He's like, how can I help you? Here's my fee. (laughs) (laughs) What what, what I think is interesting about your business model, and it's something I changed my perspective on on your business when you gave the wireless, uh, when you... And you have perspective. You've traveled around the world, as, as, as I think most, well, I know all of us have. You look at the adoption of wireless technology from a from a communication standpoint and other parts of the world that are not as developed infrastructure-wise, and that technology is just skyrocketed. They're, they're, they're kind of leading the charge. And I think <clears throat> where you've got institutional infrastructure, it's a lot more difficult for that. But I think in, in some of these emerging markets where the power demand is coming, mainly because they have wireless communication, the world's getting exposed to the broader world, 
I think your model uh, makes a lot of sense yeah. uh, because it 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 it's going to lead to faster electrification than if they have to wait on wire for transmission of the power. Um, unless of course they've got gas being piped in there or, or, which you know, to your point, tanked. most don't, right. The vast yeah. majority don't, which is, which is interesting. I, I had one other question. Yeah. I, I forgot. What well, my question was. keep, keep thinking here. So we'll, uh, I have no idea how long we've been going. This is so we, I mean, maybe an hour or so. So while he's thinking of the question, uh, you said you're a history buff, right? Do you, do you read what, what kind of books do you read and what do you read right now? And that's one and two, uh, any kind of podcasts that you listen to on a regular basis? Other than obviously well, yeah, this one from now on. Obviously, yeah, from now on, yeah. it's going to be this <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I, in terms of uh, history reading in recent, um, I would say that I, I first started out when I was a boy, World War II. Yeah. And then uh, got into World War One, Spanish-American War. So all the wars, you know, before. You know, yeah. So yeah. Uh, and it was just all oh, history is just looked there. Did you ever through. listen to the Dan Carlin? Uh, yes, on, yes. On, I had a friend, uh, oil and gas friend, put me in, into that. So I listened to some of that stuff. Yeah, he's it was really good. Uh, and but you know, also I look at internationally and and all through human history. So read a lot of books on the Roman Empire and even before that, uh, a lot of some of the other empires around the Middle East. Uh, the most recent ones just through travel is I read a, a history on, on the, uh, Estonia. Um, I've read a lot on uh, uh, Genghis Khan and, uh, you know, really the most, the biggest empire the Earth's uh, ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, and the most recent one, that I, and it was a really thick book I got from an oil and gas guy, you guessed it, uh, was a history of the Balkans. Which really, you know, even today, I now understand all the little pieces and what's going on and so forth and what's happening in that part of the world. And then obviously what, what washes up to in terms of problems for us to deal with as a country. So it's uh, it, I like fitting all the different pieces together. So when I go to the different countries, Israel or Japan or Korea, I can understand China. I can say, you know what, I understand where you're sure. coming from. And because there's all little piece of us is still goes back to the history of this country and the history of this state, right? We're independent. We're Texans because we fought a war for our independence. We're on our own country before we decided to join the states. So just pivoting back to just renewable energy, we talked a lot about solar. We've touched on wind. Just stepping back, what are some technologies that are emerging or could be pretty important in the future? A lot of folks talk about hydrogen yeah. from a fueling standpoint, obviously used in fuel cells. Um, you know, there, there was, you know, 10 years ago, the biofuels were big, um, that, that market has shrunk down some, but what, what are your thoughts on all those? Cause I know you've touched a number of these things over your career. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have, I'm not infallible. Um, and you know, just ask my wife, she'll give you a list of, she'll be, you'll be here the rest of the day, forget about an hour in the podcast about my, my shortcomings. But, um, I will say this, uh, you know, biofuels is not something I'm, I'm you know, uh, not going to ever get back into again. I did that once and, and, uh, I got that t-shirt. I, I failed miserably. <laughs> participation. Um, and, uh, yeah, participation and, and I won't have anything to do with it. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with it per se. I just, you know, I didn't, I screwed it up, didn't make a good bet. And, and, and really, I don't really see a huge future for it because I do think some other things like with solar and, EVs and so forth. EVs, yeah, I think, yeah. are going to are, yeah, are going to yeah. displace that. But, um, but so I, I'd say others are better at that. And some of that, I'll just freely admit, is emotion. 
You know, mm-hmm. you lose that much of part of your career and money and so forth. You just don't want to go back. <laughs> yeah. uh, so understand. You know, <laughs> I yeah, hope, I hope run a dot com. <laughs> Can we okay, delete this you know what I'm talking portion. about. <laughs> go you going to fund a dot com yeah. anytime soon? Probably not, right? Yeah. We did uh, get everyone's money back in a small way. Yeah, well, you did better than me. 12 years. You go did ahead. better than me. Um, you know, but I do think that, like, for instance, solid state batteries, um, I think it, a lot of things on the battery side are very interesting. I do think there's some role to fill with fuel cells. We're doing some things that we'll talk about more um, publicly as a company on the fuel cell side of things. Um, by the way, Elon Musk has a very different view of that. He calls them full cells. Yep. Uh, and, 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 and here's another thing is I'll tell you about uh, three years ago, I thought, yeah, it's nice, Elon. I don't really see the pace of battery progression because I was listening to all the so-called experts and so forth. He was right. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had a, if you had a snapshot, my thought based on the conventional wisdom and what he said three years ago, I'm dead wrong. Have you met Elon? No, I haven't. haven't what about hi- what about hydrogen? Uh, just as a as a fueling. Well, it's a, it's or... a storage yeah. piece, and, and it's, it's not and a great sto- storage yeah. compared mm-hmm. to chemical storage, which yeah. is Elon's point. But I do feel like it has some role in there, mainly because. I can send that natural gas through there, that line converted over to it, and maybe there's some, you know, uh, more efficient ways of, of generating that hydrogen by, you know, essentially cracking water, right, yeah. through electrolysis on right. some applications and so forth, and maybe some cases in the transportation side of things. But I, I do wonder if the batteries and therefore the chemical storage and electric uh, with solar generation and mm-hmm. so forth move so fast that it just kind of cuts yeah. off hydrogen. Okay. I don't know if that happens, but that that, that is that would be a concern. I mean, anything on smart grid or any of that uh, from your perspective? You know, I, I think smart grid uh, is a um, basically is used by the monopolies to go out and spend everybody's money and make money on it. I, I think that there are some roles for this, but I think what's being smart grid is not defined, and it's and I just get worried and I hold my wallet every time somebody says smart grid, um, and, and I think that we need to think I saw about you reach for it. So I didn't yeah, uh, we need to think about how do I you know. I, I put that backup, you know, that battery and that mm-hmm. solar at my house. I don't need your grid any smarter. Thank you. You know, I'll keep my money and I'll have my, I have higher reliability than you trying to make something a little bit more reliable. What I thought was interesting, somebody said I was with the other day, was talking about the Tesla car and this, that, and the other. And uh, these are all oil and gas guys. And uh, one of the guys, uh, executives bought one of these cars, but he, you know, he, they all went to lunch in there and it's got the park function, which is totally cool where they just left the car and the car comes back to them after lunch and the doors open. Very cool. But I've got that feature what too. He was, it's called valet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what they were talking about is that the, the step change for Tesla is not so much been in the battery in, in this particular sense, but the AI that's associated in the car. Mm-hmm. And how it is learning to um, operate the transmission, and uh, uh, not the transmission, but the, the the motor and the fluid that they were utilizing to get a step change in efficiency that they were were not otherwise able to get because they didn't know. And the system teaching itself, which further complements and gives that extended range on that battery because of the. So I think it's it's interesting when we think about the energy sources, but this is something I've always talked about, it, even the traditional oil and gas guys, is that at some point technology is going to evolve to where we're going to get better at utilizing the energy sources we have. So in a, in a way, demand is going to go down regardless. And I think that's one of the other things that we're yeah. 
That's a that's a very good point. And and you know, you look at Tesla just briefly, you know, the genius of what Musk did aside from how to put all the individual cells together and cool it to make the you know, some battery, was he said, I'm gonna make something that is cool. Yeah. Not more eco. Mm-hmm. Your one of your earlier questions. Yeah. And that was the brilliant decision. And that car can do things that an ice car can't. Well, he started out with a sports car. That's what my point yeah. is. That's what my point that is. And, and I have, I, I've had these count, I've had countless conversations that the way that your oil and gas CEO friend that's got the Tesla, I've been at dinners and these are good friends. They'll start. This is a couple of years ago. Elon Musk is an idiot. His stocks are short. I've shorted it. Everybody shorted it. We go out to the ballet line. Half of them had Teslas. I'm like, guys, what, what, what the heck? And they're like, well, you know, that's just me. That's just me. And I was like, you're giving him money to get down the price curve, right? And and so what we got to think about in in summation is is that as we look ahead to the future, maybe the future has you know different uses of energy for it because we're going to make something as in totally different, like in your house, function totally differently. That you're like, yeah, I want that. And it's not about, hey, is it 11 cents a kilowatt hour coming out of the solar panels or is it, you know, because I can get you 10 coming out of the, you know, gas fire generation. That's that that's it's like, no, I don't care. I want that. I want my home to do all these cool things. And it can only do that with the solar and batteries. I mean, that's what's going to happen. That's yeah, what is. You happening. haven't looked up the Tesla wall battery. Power wall. Yeah. Power wall. Yeah. That's cool. It is cool. It's cool. looking. And yeah. yeah. Well, so, I mean, so I, that's to your point. To to that point, Josh, and this was my this is my low tech uh, question that I couldn't remember a second ago. But I think it's a good question and it speaks to what you guys do. So we've got this diverse group of listeners, and it's growing. And we're very excited about that. But if they're listening today and they like what they're hearing from you, and they go, "Heck, I want Sonova," how does one go about saying, "I want Sonova"? Solar panels on my roof and a battery backup. I want that on my house. I, I, I want Sonova service. How does yeah, that happen? Sonova service. You yeah. can call us. We'll put you in touch with a, a dealer. Okay. And we'll come out to your house and you know obviously call you first and get the information and so forth. In this pandemic, we'll maybe maybe do more um, all of it over the phone if you want to or Zoom calls and such. Sure. We can do that, and uh, our dealers have gotten very good at that you know, through this crisis. Um, or you know we'll be out to your house and then you know sit down whatever you want. And take you through things and say, okay, and this is your different options, your different products, your plans, if you will, just like you'd go into AT and T and get a new cell phone gotcha. know, for your for your kid you know, as soon as they're old enough. So it's just the same thing. So we're trying to make it easy to just sign up for a service. You know, if you think it, it, you're going to put a bunch of panels on your roof and it's a product, hey, things break, squirrels chew on conduit, fuses blow, all this stuff happens. You got a bunch of computers all over your house now. How many times did your computer die over the last 30 days? You know, it happens a lot, you know, and and so what you want is say, hey, look, I want that service to show up. However you do it here, I want to see what that looks like in my house and so forth. Let's talk about that. But you're responsible, Sonova, for making sure all this stuff works, just like just like Centerpoint's uh, responsible for making that power go through that line attached to the back of your house. Cool. That's a great question. So, so go ahead, buddy. Well, I was going to say, so how does... So what's what's the website for Sonova? Sonova.com or Sonova.com. So we wrap these things up with a uh, question on you <clears throat> and what would you tell yourself, uh, your 20 year, 30 year ago self or a younger person getting into the business, a piece of wisdom, a pearl, 
you know, an idea, something you live by that uh, you'd like to pass on to our audience. Wow. That's a, man. We don't mess around. Yeah. This that's is, a, this that's is the a, show that's... of shows here. That's a, you didn't prep him for this question? No, I did not. I was okay. told not to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that's I, good. That's good. We like people in the hot seat. You know, I, 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 I've been um, deferred gratification has been a big part of this. I mean, quite frankly, up until really the last, um, you know, really in the last, not even twelve months, it really it's really been a hard road. I mean, you, you grow a solar company in oil and gas country and. You know, I'll, I'll give you a little vignette. There was a number of years ago is that uh, my wife and I were at a charity function and some guy came up to me and said, hey, John, uh, you're in the, you're in the, uh, you have four kids, right? I said, yeah. He goes, you're in the solar business, right? I said, yeah. He goes, do you need a job? And he wasn't trying to be mean. He was trying to be, he was being sincere about it. And I said, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, truth is, I've been through the highs and the lows and, and certainly got the battle scars to, on the lows. And I'm sure I'll go through some more. Um, but I think it's just staying, you know, I think it, I think it's being patient. I mean, so too often I was, uh, you know, too impatient to get some things done and push it and so forth. And as I said in the earlier part in answering your questions, if I had to go back 20 years ago and I said, hey, look, this fracking thing makes go into that first, then come out of it, and then go do the solar stuff. Right. But then part of me comes back and says, would I be the person I, I am and would I be in the position if I had done that? Maybe not. You know, we'll, I'll never know that, that, but, uh, uh, so I focused on, you know, what I thought was a long-term solution, long-term changes, but what came with that was a lot of sacrifice of time and time is something you'll never get back. Do so, you view yourself as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Okay. Uh, absolutely. I mean, so I think there's no other way to call me, whether that's a cereal. A, a, yeah. Cereal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whether that is a, uh, uh, you know, a compliment or not, you know, that that's definitely what I am. And, and I think the question is, you know, the book's still being written, whether it's uh, to be a, a good entrepreneur or not. You know, I think I work every day to do that. My advice, though, is is that I would, you know, think about things, be be smart, uh, work hard, and, and be honest. And right. and if you don't have, if you're missing one of those three things, you won't be successful. I don't care if you're trying to be an entrepreneur in oil and gas or trying to do that in solar. And, uh, and that's, that's some advice was given to me a number of years ago by an oil and gas CEO, matter of fact, and he was an entrepreneur too. And, uh, and that's, and that's still you know, obviously stuck with me and is the advice. Well, those truths are, they transfer, don't they? Yep. Ira, I mean, your first, you hit a home run. We've we've yeah, waited eighteen pretty, months for you to come pretty on. Pretty good right now. Yeah, you came on strong. John, you bring a great guest. Yeah, no, I, I think our decision was good to bring John on. Well, what would uh, you think? Do you like being a co-host with us? I loved it. Love to come back at some point. You have time. to come back. Yeah, it was great. I think uh, just so people know, we haven't even stopped this thing the whole way through. We have just been stream of consciousness, which has been a lot of fun. <laughs> so, uh, really appreciate uh, what you guys are doing for the industry across the entire industry, including renewable. So. Uh, and all the traditional stuff. So thank you for having me. Thanks, well, guys. Mr. DeRode, do you have any pearls of wisdom to end us with here? No, I just thought it was a great conversation. I enjoyed getting to meet John and, and hear a little bit more about his personal perspective about the business that you built. Congratulations to you. I think it's a neat business model. I was, I'll be honest, I was uh, somewhat of a skeptic at first, not, not because I was objective, but just, again, I think it's awareness. and. Uh, so, uh, so thank you for coming on. I enjoyed, enjoyed visiting. And we gave you, you time, and you didn't give us anybody. So we're going to send everybody to you. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, you, you, you haven't given us anywhere else. So I would encourage the audience. I've done enough research to say that if you Google Sonova, uh, if you look up John and in some videos, you're going to find some information, probably go down some rabbit holes that are going to be interesting. So um, I, I encourage the audience to go learn. And, and Ira, I'm sure you and your team have information that's available for Absolutely. people that want to call. Uh, Jonathan, our, our producer, our A&M extraordinaire back there, Aggie extraordinaire. This what you are the first uh, video uh, that we've ever done. So, John, how do we look back there, buddy? We look pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Given Thank his... God, and Aggie's running the show. Hey, yeah. Listen, this guy is amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. I, by the, hopefully, when he comes back, we're going to get him a microphone and a camera so he can participate. He's a millennial too. What was funny? So, David and I would always be like, "All right, so it's www.sonova.com," and we believe, and John would be like, "Hey." You know it makes you sound really old when you say www. At least you don't say on the net. Yeah, on the interweb. So as usual, I'll wrap us up here, David. As yeah, usual, yeah. Uh, any complaints send to David at oilfield360.com. <laughs> we change chairs. I, don't I get the, the good no, stuff? No, absolutely not. And any compliments send to Josh at oilfield360.com. <laughs> This is going to be on your favorite podcast platform. Look us up, oilfield360.com, www. Once again, Simmons, thanks for your partnership. You Sonova, we wish you guys the best of luck. I do believe in everything you said. Uh, you are very reasonable, and I'm not saying that in any other way, except that I, I hope that you're. Um, I hope that we can work together, and we being uh, the mutual industries. And if there's anything we can do for you in the future, just let us know. David, love it, man. Yeah, you're always good. doing great. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Good luck to everyone. This episode of the Oil Field 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity-focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVCapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang & Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com, World Oil, WorldOil.com, Fletcha Azul Tequila, FletchaAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, Please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at oilfield360.com.
Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler and Company, member SIPC and FINRA, and Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler and Company, and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.